But let's start with a word of prayer, and then we'll go right into the Bible. Jesus, we love you. And um, it's days like today where I'm reminded that it's, it's, it's only through you that we make it, that we survive, that we do anything of profit, that we do anything that is really has any kind of eternal value. As we study your word, I pray that you would refine us and, and correct us and encourage us to not just um, not just give, because we'll be talking about giving, but, but to have hearts that are ready and eager to give. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come in and, and change our heart in such a way that we no longer see um, giving as, as anything less than being a part of what Jesus is doing here right now. Uh, to gain souls and to win souls into the kingdom of God. And um, I praise you tonight, Lord. We need you more than we ever have. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Uh, if this is your first time here on a Wednesday night, um, or if you've been gone for a while, I think that covers everybody. Um, and just coming back, we've been using this theme, this uh, text in Matthew 16 and 24 as our theme for discipleship. And so, Christians, uh, you know, we're we're not in a we're not a factory. The church is not a factory of just you know stamping people with a Christian label and sending them off. Um, the church is a is a is a living organism created to facilitate and foster family and communion and discipleship. Uh, and discipleship or being a disciple of Jesus is, is this yearning and this desire to be like Jesus. Um, you'd be hard-pressed to go anywhere in the world, regardless of religion, regard, regardless of culture, and find folks who will say something negative or bad about Jesus. Even uh, atheists or non-believers would say Jesus was a good teacher, a good example. Um, and so as Christians... We not only have uh, the charge to be like Jesus, but we have the ability to be like Jesus because of the Holy Spirit. God, I, I love this about him. He Instead of just saying, do this, he says, do this, let me give you the power to do that. And so I was liking it to uh, the, the example that I've probably worn out, but I'll use it again. Uh, when I was a kid, I had no money to buy my mom a Mother's Day gift, and she gave me money to go buy her, buy her a gift. Um... I went to the store, I picked it out, but I didn't really have the money. She gave me the money. She didn't really gain anything except for my love. She didn't gain anything except for relationship. You know, She gave me the power to go out and even serve her in that way. And God does the same for us. We go out in his power to do that which he's called us to do, and it's a great privilege and a great honor. Matthew 16 and 24 says this, then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Um, in this world, there are countless ways to lose your life. Um, and I don't mean to have your life ended, but to give up. Um, I went to dinner a couple four or five nights ago, went to the casino to have dinner there because they have a lot of great restaurants. I remember just walking through because uh, you had to go from the parking garage through the casino to get to the restaurant. And I remember just looking around, not judging folks, but just seeing the desperation, seeing um, folks who were losing their life, uh, not just financially, but they were searching for, grasping on to 
something that was never going to satisfy them. They were they were just feeding machines and playing cards and really wanting some desire of their heart to be satisfied, but never quite finding that satisfaction, never quite finding that desire uh, to be um, made true or made whole. And so Jesus says that the only way this happens, the only way we lose our life and then gain it is by losing our lives for him. You know, losing something out of stupidity, bad stewardship, losing something because you made a wrong choice is not the equivalent of losing something for Jesus. But if you're living for Jesus and in the in the in route to living like Jesus, you give something up. The Bible says that's the only way you gain life is by giving up uh, for Jesus. Now, if you've ever heard of the band U2, you know they're a huge band. Uh, they've been around for like 40 years, um, huge hits, big rock and roll band. They were on the verge of giving up that dream very early on in um, in their career for Jesus. Three of the four members are, are born again Christians, and they thought, well, Jesus wants us to give this up. And through prayer and through um, just talking to like-minded believers, they decided, okay, we're gonna we're gonna let this little band, you know, be what it is, and ended up taking off. Sometimes it's not about giving up something; it's just about giving up our will, just giving up giving up what we want and saying, Jesus, I want what you want first. I want your desires. That's part of sanctification. That's part of becoming a disciple. That's part of wanting what He wants. Saying, you know what? Jesus, you're bigger than me, smarter than me, you're so much more than me, you've got to be able to see farther than I can, so I have to be able to trust that if you take something from my life or call me to remove something from my life, it's for my good. It's not, it's not just because you want to take something from me, it's that you see that it is, it is bad for me or not right for me, um, much like a father does with a child. Matthew 16 and 24 is our is our theme about becoming a disciple not just not just giving up but then gaining the Bible's really clear that those who follow Jesus who faithfully and, and, and truthfully desire to to walk like him and talk like him and love like him and just be like him there's great reward for that um, I think this message would be easier if I went out into the world and just told everybody to give up stuff there's a lot of folks who think that's what pleasing God is all about just simply giving up things asceticism and just becoming poor and and never owning any possessions never having anything um, those hearts of those people are, are just as corrupt as the ones who are greedy and want to get and want to take everything the, the the problem's not the stuff last couple of weeks we've talked about money the problem's not money it's the heart of man and God seeks through Jesus and the Holy Spirit to change our hearts Hebrews 11 and 6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Not only are we rewarded with um, finite things, temporary things, um, you know, stuff in this world that will have a begin date and an end date, but we're rewarded with Christ himself. When you read the book of Revelation, you find that, that there's this day that comes where... We call it Jesus' second coming where he is with his people and he is our God and, and we are with him in direct communion. There's no more um, there's no more faulty wiring. That's kind of how I see what we're in right now. We've been saved. We've, we've 
been connected to God, but that connection is not entirely complete yet. It's like, it's like you're talking on a phone with a bad connection. There's always interference. There's always something in the way or something trying to get in the way. But in that day and in that time at the second coming, that will all be gone. The pain we know of this world will be erased. The diseases that we've experienced time and time again will cease to exist. The, the experiences that, that we've gone through and the sin that people have caused against us, that will never happen again as well. Our bodies will be changed. We will be completely changed. Uh, the Bible says that our bodies are corrupted by sin, so they have to be changed to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And life as we know it will be completely different. We will, we, I, I don't know that we'd look back, but if we could, we, we would look back and say, wow, how different this life from that life. How much better this life than that life. And all of it because of Jesus. All of it because of what he has done. We will not enter into the kingdom of heaven because we did enough or because we did all the right things. We will enter because we have had faith in the one who has done all the right things. That is Jesus. And for me, on days like today where it seems like everything's falling apart, I, I, I look to him like that and say, Lord, I'm th I thank you that it's not based on what I have done. It's all based on what you have done. I'm thankful because if it was all up to me, at some point I would lose everything because even my best days pale in comparison to Jesus. In regards to stewardship, which has kind of been a, a big theme over the last couple of weeks, stewardship is just taking care of stuff. Um, when I was a kid, I wasn't a very good steward of my toys. You know, they were always strewn about, they'd break, and I was relatively good with my toys, but, you know, boys just break stuff and take stuff apart, and, you know, an action figure loses an arm and things like that. I wasn't a very good steward of my stuff. I had to grow and learn about um, the cost of things and how, you know, uh, it takes a paycheck and an hourly wage to um, to earn certain things. You know, it's it's... For a child, it's mind-blowing to realize that, you know, that, that $10 toy they want may have cost you an hour's worth of work. Maybe less if you've got a better job, but maybe more if you've got a worse job. You know, that, that that you have right there represents an hour of my life. And this house that we live in represents many hours of our lives. And then the car and the and the bills, and, and, and kids don't quite understand that. As stewards, we or as Christians, we've been given so much stuff to steward, so many good things. We've talked about how we've been given the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. We are like, the Bible says, like jars of clay with a great message inside. We're, if you've ever seen like a really ancient uh, clay jar, um, sometimes they're really ornate and really beautiful, but sometimes they're just these rough, hand-hewn you know, vessels. And they're cracked and chipped, and, and they're, just, they're all a solid brown color because they're just made out of earth and dirt and clay. And they're not very great to look at. But the Bible says we're like that, but the message in us that we've been given to steward is like gold. It's like it's it's the greatest thing that we can give to anybody. This great gospel message of Jesus Christ dying for the sins of the world so that we aren't judged for our actions. We're judged for what Jesus has done. We've been given life. And um, one of my dear friends today, um, hadn't seen them in a while, but they were one of the... Um, uh, some of the earliest friends in our Christian walk who kind of welcomed us in his family at our church in California, he passed away today um, at 52, a sudden heart attack, and he was 
he's dead now. You know, he's got he's got like 12 kids and and a wife and and they were on the verge of being kicked out of their home and and just you know, I don't know when death is ever a good uh comes at good timing, but it seems like this was even uh, the the timing of it all was even worse than than the um the, or just added to the severity of everything. Um but we've been given life, and we we are called to steward it or to handle it well, to call upon Jesus. And and there's so many things in life that are difficult and hard, but man, there are so many things in life that are just good. You know, we talked about how, or I talked about how, you know, you can go on YouTube and learn anything. You know, you can go and learn how to fix the brakes on your car. You can go and you know learn how to make soap. <laughs> you can you can do all kinds of fun things with life and. And we can squander it, or we can steward it. We can. Uh, we've been given possessions. You know, we're very rich. We all drove in here tonight. You know, in a vehicle. Um, we all uh, have homes that we're going to go back to tonight. I mean, we have a home and a car. That makes us pretty wealthy. That makes us. Um, that makes us what the Bible calls the rich. You know, we may not have bank accounts with lots of zeros. We may just have a zero, and that's it. But we have so much compared to the rest of the world, and we have to steward it well. And so this last one we've been talking about is money, and we've talked about our hearts and, and how God seeks to change our heart to convert uh, the very core of who we are. And when God does that, that is what um, – that is, that is how we go from being somebody with a closed hand to somebody with an open hand willing to give, willing to share, willing to to help out others who are in need. And so um, we talked about changing our heart, and now we're going to talk about the tithe. The word tithe, if you've been in church for any length of time, you might know what the word tithe is, but we're going to discuss that a little bit, and then we're going to find out what it means to the Christian. The word tithe literally means a tenth or one-tenth. In the Old Testament, the, the Jews were given these commands by God through Moses. Book of, uh, you know, the, the first five books of the Bible, you got Genesis, uh, Exodus, Leviticus, and the other one, and the other one. And uh, <laughs> memorization is not my strong suit. Um, but in there, we have all these laws, some nearly 700 different laws, and some pertain to giving. And the tithe was the way that God... Um, sustained what was the Levitical priesthood. There were 12 tribes of Israel. One of them were the Levites. They were named that after the son, after Abraham, or excuse me, Jacob's son, uh, Levi. And they became the priesthood. And instead of inheriting, 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 is that the right word? Instead of getting from their father <laughs> a bunch of land, uh, they were going to be the priests or, or, like today, the pastors of Israel. They were going to live and work in the temple. They were going to offer the sacrifices for the people. To get that done, it takes money. It takes stuff. You cannot sacrifice a bull or a lamb or pigeons or whatever if you don't have money to purchase those things or rear those things or raise those things. So God set up this tithing system so that the Levitical priesthood and the temple could run. Uh, this church operates solely on the giving of its people. We don't receive grants from the government. Um, there isn't some, you know, sugar daddy guy in the South that just gives us a bunch of money to keep being a church. We don't have a denomination. 
that helps us. We're an independent church. And so this church is run on uh, much the same way that the Levitical temple was. The giving of the people pays for the lights. The giving of the people pays for the sound system and the equipment that we use for it. It pays my salary. Uh, praise God that, that I'm not bivocational or I don't have to have a second job. I could, but I get to focus solely on the ministry, which is really cool. The problem with the tithe today is that it's been used to manipulate people into giving rather than uh, be used as a template for giving. And one of the most common um, one of the most common verses used to do that is Malachi 3:10. So first off, before I go any further, if you think about your income, just think about what you earn, whether it be per hour, per week, or whatever. Then take 10% off of that. That would be the example of a tithe for the Israelites. You might be thinking, that's a lot of money. Or maybe you're thinking, I need to talk to my boss. I don't make that much. A tenth is that much. But here's what, we, here's what most tithe or tenth teachers miss. The tenth was the beginning for the Israelites. There were actually three tithes they had to give. The first was the tithe for the Levites. So let's say in a given week you were given $100. And... You were supposed to give $10 of that, 10%, to the Levites. Here's your $10. That leaves you with $90. And now out of that, you were to give another tithe. This tithe was for the temple. So now you're taking $9. How much are you left with? You guys probably didn't think you were going to have to do math. How much are you left with? $81. Now you have to give another tithe for the poor. Okay, So another 10% of your $81 Grand total is just shy of $27. So the tithe for the Israelites, for most people who will preach that we have to give a tithe, and that's what I'm getting to, um, they miss that aspect. They kind of gloss over that, that it's actually closer to 27%. And honestly, the people who preach the 10%, they don't need to hear that because they will very quickly start asking for the 27%, uh, and then you guys will be very angry. And, and, and rather than use this to manipulate us, uh, like I will show you in Malachi 3.10, the tithe is an example. The tithe in, in, the, in the New Testament time or the church era that we are in is now our example. But we'll, we'll get to that in just a moment. Let's go to Malachi 3, actually verse 6. As you turn to Malachi 3.6, Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament, I believe, um, right before the New Testament, right before Matthew. Malachi is a prophet. He's known as a minor prophet, much like Habakkuk. Um, short book, just a few chapters. He's a prophet sent by God to deliver this message to the people. And if it doesn't freak you out, first of all, that God spoke to a man so that a man might go speak to people, realize that God did this as like a final warning, a red flag, a fire alarm, that the people would stop doing what they were doing. In these prophecies most often they are gen in general a prophetic word given to the israelites as a whole as a nation as a race um before we get into i'm sure there are people who were tithing and and they're not a part of this group individually but collectively because they're the part of the race of the israelites the 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 nation of israel they were included in this so malachi 3 6 says this for I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Um, God is an unchanging God. I believe it's the book of Hebrews. It says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
Um, God's tastes do not change. Culture changes all the time. Culture changes, uh, verbiage, uh, words change, what's acceptable, what's not acceptable changes all of the time. But the Bible tells us continuously that God is the same. And here God says, I'm the same, and my grace is the same. That's why you haven't been consumed. If I had changed, if I was a God who changed based on moods or emotions, you guys would have been wiped off the planet long ago. But because I do not change, you have not been consumed. Verse 7, from the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will, and then God answers, will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with the curse for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that's the 27%. That there may be food in my house, and, there, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that I, it will not destroy the fruits of your soil, and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. We cannot take scripture and manipulate it and where some folks take this and manipulate it they they fail to realize that there is a specific promise for a sp specific people at a specific time so imagine imagine yourself with a child this happened to me just today and you tell this child you can get ice cream today and then three months from now they say Remember back then you said we could have ice cream. Can I get ice cream today based on that promise? And you would say, no, that promise was for then at that time. Not three months from now, not 10 years from now for that specific time. Now, you could say to a child, I love you. That is a promise that transcends time. That's a promise that transcends uh, the circumstance. Ten minutes from now, ten years from now, that love will be the same. It's, it's in general, encompasses everything. What we find in Malachi, it's a warning from God to the people of God at that specific time. And what we often are taught is that something specific for those people at that time is for us as well. And that's not true. Now, in general, the principle found here, yes, the principle is timeless which is give to God. God is good. He never changes. He always takes care of you. He blesses you abundantly. He opens up the storehouse and things fall down and you just have so much. Even when it seems like you have so little, you still have Jesus. We need to understand that God has already opened up the heavens, giving us, given us his son, and there is nothing greater than that that he can give us. If we walk away from, yeah, you've given me Jesus, but I'd really like a new iPad. You've got a bad understanding of Jesus. So I, I, I know I have Jesus, but there's this really new pair, great pair of shoes or this job or a spouse or this other thing that I would want. You see Jesus as a lesser gift, and you just simply need to go back to the scriptures, read the Bible, read what it says about Jesus, be reacquainted with him, and realize, oh yeah, when it comes to gift, gifts, Jesus is pretty much the best thing we can get. Um. 
often this is used to to scare people into giving. God is going to let the devourer come and get you if you do not give your tithe. Give your tithe to me, sow a seed, and, and you will you will be protected and saved. That sounds more like uh, the mafia than Jesus. I mean, I'm not. I've never had one-on-one confrontations with the mob, so my experience is limited. But if TV has taught me anything, it's that uh, sometimes mafia bosses go into local establishments, tell them, "We'll protect you if you give us money." And the shop owner has a choice, end up with a dead horse in your bed or give these folks their money on a regular basis. And whether art is imitating life or life is imitating art, either way, that's what this sounds like to me when it's preached in that manner. When it's preached, hey, give to God. Hey, give to God. I don't know what's going to happen if you don't give to God. I can't, my hands are tied if you're not giving. Sounds, I don't mean to hurt any Italians there, but that really bad imitation, but... But that's what that sounds like when it's taught in that way. What we're taught is to give and to give sacrificially. Sacrificial giving goes beyond any percentage. It goes beyond the 10, the 27, whatever. When we talk about tithe in general, what we learn or what I teach here through the Bible is that the tithe is a good place to start. 10%. And it's always fun to watch people because you'll see people who will accept that challenge and, I, and, and weeks later, without fail, the question always arises, gross or net? It's, okay, what, I, I'll tell you what I have done. It's always been the gross, whatever I've earned. It's not, it's not God's fault that Uncle Sam has his hand in my pocket before I even get my paycheck. And so I tithe off the gross, okay? Um, honestly... Some folks come to me and say, you know what, the tithe, that's 10%. That's a lot, you know. I'm lucky if I'm left with that much after I pay my bills, after I, I – and, and if they're telling me the truth, and, and I believe that they are, they're not spending it frivolously. They're not wasting it here and there. They're not, you know, going to bars and strip clubs and wasting it on pornography or buying drugs or playing World of Warcraft continuously. I mean they're, they're, they're being good stewards with their money, and that's all they're left with. And I simply say to them, then start with 1%. Let 1% be the beginning. Take your income, start with 1%, and as you become accustomed to that, increase it to 2%. Now you might say, but 1% is nothing. 1% is a lot better than 0%, I think. The church here, South Bay Chapel, does not exist on any one person's contribution. It, It operates by the grace of God and by the contributions of many collectively giving together and so it's not about all of us it's not about one or two people giving uh, a big exorbitant amount it's about everybody giving something my favorite story of giving in the new testament the the one that i look to as my model is the story of the widow with her two mites mark chapter 12 verse 41 turn there As you turn there, I want to set the stage. So Jesus is with his disciples, and they've gone to the temple. And it's the time of giving. And as you would assume with a gold-plated temple, extravagant, lots of ceremony, everybody's throwing around cash, 
whatever their money looked like at that time, whether it be coins or bills or whatever, everybody's just dumping in money. And the Bible says that it was out of their abundance. It was out of their extra. So the house payment was done. The, the car was paid. The insurance for both was paid. Food was paid. Vacation was paid. The boat was paid. All Everything was paid. And now this was all the extra money. I'm just throwing it around. I just I imagine in my mind's eye, and this is just my imagination. It's not gospel, so please take it with a grain of salt. But I just imagine them just throwing money at each other, just left and right. You know, big swimming pool full of money, just oh, and everybody clapping and having fun, and and the priest standing ovations for those who give. You know, some guy coming up with a bucket full of cash, and the next guy coming with two buckets, and it was like woo, and it's like some show you'd see on MTV is like and, and and then all of a sudden off to the side there's this widow now widows today are treated a little differently than widows in the Bible they should be treated the same but here in this time this widow would have had to depend on the giving and the contributions of other people her husband who was her primary breadwinner was gone most likely, she had no sons to take care of her. When the Bible speaks of widows, it's generally people who have nobody to take care of them. If they had a, a son or, or a group of children who could take care of her in her old age, then she wasn't really considered a widow per se. But this widow was somebody who had nobody. It says that somehow she came in there. I always imagined her with a walker. They didn't have walkers back then, but for some reason I picture her with a walker. And she looks like Rue McClanahan or something. And she's walking in, and she's going slow, and then she drops her two coins. Verse 41 says, and he sat down. That's Jesus. He sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him. And said to them, truly I say to you, this poor widow has put more in, uh, put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. A few points that we'll close with when it comes to the widow and her giving. Number one, it was sacrificial. How do I know it was sacrificial? Because she had two coins and she gave them both. Most of us, if I gave you $2 and said give something to God, you would give one dollar to God and the other dollar would go in your pocket. I would do the same thing, not judging, just saying. This lady has two coins and she gives them both. It's sacrificial. It's everything she's got. You might be saying, well, what about her live? How is she going to live? How is she going to eat? I don't know, but for her it wasn't an issue. Giving to God sacrificially was more important than where the next meal would come from. This is a day and an age where there are no refrigerators. This is a day and an age where if she's a widow and no one's taking care of her, she probably doesn't have a lot of stuff. She can't just go sell stuff or pull out of her bank account or, or raise some more sheep or whatnot. This is all she has. Jesus said this was all she had to live on. Here's the secret. You know, I, I want to have the big reveal at the end, but here's the real secret. She knew what she had to live on. She had Jesus. She had God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. She knew no matter what she gave, she was going to be okay. So she could even give everything and know that she would still have everything. 
Number two, she was faithful. She didn't say, you know what? I'll give later. I've only got the two coins. I got the SSI check coming at the end of the month. That's when I'll give. It was the time of giving, so she wanted to give. She was faithful. She didn't let her giving be some far-off time or far-off date where she was going to give. She looked at what she had right then, and that's what she gave. She, Some folks, they, they'll say, well, I'll give it this time. I'll give later, as if later, you know, and later never comes. And we talked about this last week. Jesus doesn't need your money. Jesus isn't, isn't knocking on our door asking for money. He doesn't need you to sow a seed. He doesn't need you to do this or do that. Jesus doesn't need your money. He just needs you. He wants you above all. He wants your heart. He wants to, to, to change your life. He wants to just radically transform you from, from being spiritually dead to being alive, from being an orphan to a child of God. The widow was faithful in giving at the time of giving. Her giving was practical and not theoretical. Well, when I do this, this, and this, then I'll give. You know, there's a story, a parable that Jesus gives and talks about how, you know, you don't know when your life is going to be taken from you. I shared the story of my friend uh, dying today. He was 52 years old or 53 years old. I'm sure he was counting on a lot more years. I'm sure he was probably thinking maybe 80, 90, maybe even 100. I know his 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 mother and father-in-law were living with them at the time, or living with them now, and they're much older than him. He probably thought I'll at least live to their age. But he didn't know that today his life would be taken from him, and he didn't know that that opportunities for whatever he might have thought. And I'm not I'm not trying to, I, I don't know where he thought about that. I don't mean to connect those two, but what I mean is, we don't know what's going to happen later today, let alone tomorrow. And this, this widow didn't say, well, I'll give it such and such a time. I'll give when I have an abundance. These people were already all around. They were already doing that. She gave practically. Not, there was no big dr drama. Well, when I do this, then I'll give. She, she was, her heart was already changed. She was already ready to give. Her giving was unnoticed by man. Everybody is all celebrating, throwing money around like, I don't know, like Las Vegas Casino or something, just money everywhere. And here comes this little woman, and nobody notices her. Nobody see, nobody celebrates her little copper coins that weren't even worth a penny. I mean, would you? Let's just be honest. Would you want if you saw somebody go up and she gave a penny, you wouldn't sit back and go, "Wow, she gave a lot of money." If it was a child, you might say, "Oh, that's cute," because they don't know any better. But you wouldn't say that for someone who was a widow, an older lady. She was unnoticed by man. But who did notice her? Jesus. If you're going to be noticed by anybody, let it be Jesus. If you're going to get recognition from anybody or praise from anybody, let it be Jesus. I don't. There's no in indication here that Jesus ever conversed with this lady, that, that, that she did all of this and then just walked away. Jesus doesn't say, hey, lady, come over here, or say, hey, guys, let's go talk to her. There's no indication that she ever knew that she was noticed by Jesus. That isn't why she did it. However, she was noticed by Jesus. Jesus didn't care that all these other men were giving out of their abundance. He didn't care that, that 
they took care of themselves before they thought of anybody else? Well, Pastor Tony, I've got to pay my bills. Yeah, you've got to pay your bills. But is, is in paying your bills, do you consider giving a part of that? Some always look at that as the, as the extra or the later or when I have time or, or when I have more money. And the, the giving that was noticed by Jesus, that impressed Jesus, like I don't know how you impress Jesus, but that sounds like the type of life that I want to live. You see and throughout the, the, the Gospels, you see people who exercise faith and Jesus is astounded at their faith. He does that here with this lady. So much so that she see, points to her and gathers his disciples. That's you and I. Not just, not just the men who were there in the immediate, but that's us too. If we are the disciples of Jesus, we are being called aside by Jesus to look at this lady and say, See, look at her giving. That's how I want you to give. When it comes to giving, you can tell somebody's heart right away. Are they trying to give the least, that which will hurt the least? Or are they just so excited to give because they realize what Jesus has done for them? Money, money is such a great indicator of where your heart is. Not always, but, but sometimes. For this woman, we see that it's true. We see where her heart is. And so if we want to give like Jesus, if we want to give in a way that pleases Jesus, we are to give sacrificially. You go to, now, you go to the book of Acts, what do you see people doing? Converted, changed, transformed, filled with the Holy Spirit, and they start selling stuff. Oh, hey, you have need? I have this plot of land. You know what? I don't even know why I have it. I'm going to sell it, and I'm going to give the money to you. Oh, you've got medical bills? And I've, I've got this here. I'm going to sell it so we can help you out. Oh, your, your family, you know, your husband died and now you're a widow. Let me sell some of these possessions I have to help you out. You see, that in that day and culture, it may not have been about money. It may have been about, it may have been about things like food. You know what? I have, I have this crop. Let's go, let's, go, let's go take from this crop so we can feed you, feed your family, feed this city, feed this community. Most of us here don't have fields and flocks and that sort of thing. We just earn our money. We, we earn our paychecks week by week. We collect our Social Security. We, sh we collect from our retirement or our pensions. The challenge is how would God have you to give? I would tell you, before you ever think about a tithe, an actual percentage of what you're going to give, what is sacrificial for you? They're too far away, but when I lived in California, they were everywhere. You guys have heard of a place called Starbucks? There's one in Syracuse. You, you've heard of them. They're everywhere. I'm pretty sure we're going to have one in the church one day. That's a joke. Uh, when you don't laugh at the jokes, you just embarrass yourself. Um, Starbucks, you know, when I lived in California, they were on every corner. And you might say to yourself, well, I just stop in, you know, once a day for uh, whatever, and it's like four bucks which this is a few years ago. They're not quite four bucks anymore. But you add that up. If you do that every day, every day for 30 days, how much money is that? $120 on coffee. What if you, what if you didn't stop all the coffee? What if you just took every other day? You know, today I get a coffee, and then tomorrow I'll just, I'll, I'll just have coffee at home like the common people. 
And then the next day I'll have my Starbucks. Or maybe maybe your thing's not Starbucks. Maybe it's smoking. Maybe it's not smoking. Maybe it's I don't know. Maybe it's something. Maybe you pay, you know, nine hundred dollars a month for four thousand television channels that you never watch. What if what if you just got Netflix and paid like eight bucks a month? What if what if you just cut the cable out altogether? You know, well my you know just whatever it is. What is, what is it that you can cut out so that you can give and help other people? That, that, that the gospel of Jesus could continue. Now, you could give to the church. You can, I mean, this church or any church of your choosing. That's, that's where you can give. But it's not just about giving to the church. Who do you know that is in trouble? Who do you know that they don't know what they're going to do next month? And maybe it's their own fault. Maybe they wasted their money. But nonetheless, they're still in trouble. Who do you know that's just, they're just not having as good a time as you are when it comes to life. Maybe it's not about money. Maybe it's about about a meal. Maybe it's about your time. Maybe it's just about sitting down with somebody and just letting them vent for an hour. I've come into this season where I, I am doing a lot of counseling. And I'm, I'm okay with that. I like counseling people. And, and nine times out of ten, I find that counseling is a lot of me just sitting there and listening to folks. Not not like doodling or looking off into space or daydreaming or playing on my phone. But listening, listening and saying, okay, yeah, I see what you're going through. God, that sucks. Oh, my gosh. Are you serious? Like actively engage in their conversation. And sometimes that's all I have to give. But sometimes that's all that's needed to be given. I have folks that they're like, I can't give, but but you know, I'm gonna give you a load of cordwood, Tony. I'm gonna bring you a cord of wood. Okay, <laughs> I guess I don't know how you calculate that on year-end tax form, but whatever. Uh, you, that's what you can do. Then awesome. You know, I I couldn't you know do this, so I did it in this other way. Yeah. Giving is giving. If it's the the time that you're giving or your ability or 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 your talents. Pastor Mike, a few weeks back, he gave about three hours of his time just cooking for the ladies. That was awesome. And he cooked it, and it was all good, and it was all warm at the same time. And I recruited him for that reason. I told him, Mike, I could do this, but the food won't all be hot at the same time. Like, we'll have hot sausage and and lukewarm eggs and cold toast. Like, it won't, it won't all be hot at the same time. He knew how to do all that, so he gave his talent. There are people who give their talents by cleaning the church. There are people who give their talents by, by making coffee in the mor- on Sunday mornings. There are people who just visit other people because other people are just home all the time. So if we're locked into a dollar sign, we're going to miss out on all the other opportunities to give. But sacrificial giving is not about looking for the easiest way out. It's looking for, it's looking for the opportunity that's right before you. And then giving. Then trusting God. Practically, and I want to I wrap this up. I know I said that like 20 minutes ago. I tend to do that. Um, practically for my wife and I, the way this kind of goes down in our household is we take 10% of our income, and that goes to the church. Just That's our tithe. That's where we start. And then we decided a few years back we're going to start increasing it by 1% every year. Pastor Tony, that's not that much. No, it's not that much, but it's more than the zero. Remember that. And then the next year we're going to increase it another. And that one and two and three percent, that is going into an offering envelope. I keep them in envelopes. And out of that 
smaller percentage, that's where I look to help people. This person's sick. Okay, I've got it set aside already. I, I don't have to. I don't have to worry if I'm going to pay my bills because I have it set aside already. I'm going to send them this amount of money. I'm going to go pay this. I got a traffic ticket a while back. It didn't go for the traffic ticket. That's not how this works. But somebody needed something. They were just. They didn't know what they're going to do. Let's go over there. Let's give to them. Let's get. Let's fill the need that they have. Maybe. And, and sometimes it's not about bringing them money. It's about buying them a meal. And that's how we've set up our giving. So that, so that we're, we have opportunity when the, when the, or we have ability when the opportunity arises. In a few weeks, we're going to take an offering for um, CareNet on June 6th, I believe. They have a, a 5K thing going on. And we can either all sign up to run five kilometers or sit and give them a check. I choose the sitting in the check. Not because running isn't good for you and that I don't need it, but realistically, I'm probably just going to give the money. Um, but that's what we're going to do. So be ready for that. Pastor Tony, I don't have any money. Okay. Um, take a dollar today and then take a dollar next week. Take a dollar later and give them three or four or five dollars. You don't have to give it all. Just give. So in conclusion... Giving is about our heart and who we've been changed by. If we've been changed by the gospel of Jesus, if, if that process of transformation has begun, at some point, like tonight, you're going to have to deal with money and giving, and you've got to make a decision. Will you give or will you not? And if you're going to give, where are you going to give? How are you going to give? Who, who are you going to help? And that's between you and the Lord. I can't tell you where exactly you should give. For those who give to South Bay, praise God you do that so we can continue the ministry here. But honestly, make sure that you're giving to a reputable organization if you're giving. And that just goes without saying, but I'm going to say it anyways. If you don't know who you're giving to, then I wouldn't give to them. If they're giving, if you're giving to a, a nonprofit that, you know, they have to have administration, but it's primarily going to administration and not the helping of folks and people who really are in need, maybe reconsider giving, finding an organization that, that has a small percentage for administration and day-to-day -day, day -day running, and the rest of it goes to actually meeting people out in the field. But the, the one thing I really want you to do tonight is go home and pray, God, I know you want me to give. How should I? Where should I? When should I give? That's relationship. That's, that's you and Jesus talking and conversing and learning and, and, and let him speak to you through his word. Read the Bible. Go to verses about giving. And then let, let the Lord change you. Um, John 16 and 1, I believe, says something to the effect that, that Jesus, when he's talking to his disciples, he's getting ready to be sacrificed, he says, I've said all these things to you so that you will be ready, so that you'll be prepared. So that we're not caught off guard. We've been told so many things by the Lord so that we might be ready. And if we've been caught off guard, then maybe that part is our fault. And then we need to repent. And then go and crack open our Bible. Read our Bibles. Seek Jesus. And find ways to serve. We're going to close in prayer. Jesus, we, we love you. And tonight, uh, as we've studied your word, as we see the example of the 
the widow. Um, help us, Lord. Help us to take this from the theoretical and the intellectual and, and take it and change our hearts, change who we are. Lord, we're all going to get taken advantage of at some point. We're going to give to somebody that takes it and uses it for the wrong thing. We're going to, to give when we shouldn't have given. We're going to trust when maybe we shouldn't have. Somebody is going to take advantage of us, Lord, but your word has called us not to, to look at that and run away, but to have discernment, to be wise, to learn from our mistakes, and then give sacrificially. Lord, I, I don't want to look at people suspiciously. I want to be able to give when you call us to give. And we want to give because of what Jesus has done. I know that you gave your son even when people were going to abuse the gift that he is. And so, Father, help us to follow that example, to not be worried about when or if people will take advantage of our generosity, but to be sacrificially generous in spite of that, to know that you're a God who rewards our faith. We don't want to be foolish, but we want to be generous as well. And Jesus, we thank you that you poured out your life for us, that we are here now, even, even with the ability to seek to do good because of what you have done on the cross. You have made us your children by your sacrifice and by our faith. You have, you have adopted us into your family, and you have given us a new name, and you've given us a new lineage. You've given us a new legacy, all because of what Jesus has done. And we thank you, Lord. I pray that you would bless us, help us to keep serving you, loving you, and showing the world Jesus. And for those around the world who are being persecuted for just that, losing their heads and being burnt alive and just being destroyed for their faith, Lord, may you bless their families and give them a steadfastness to endure these harsh times. And may we look to that example and see what it means to live sacrificially and to give sacrificially. We love you, Lord. Empower us to do what you've called us to do, to spread the gospel of Jesus to all the nations. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.